John Steinbeck once said, All war is a symptom of man's failure as a thinking animal. Just imagine this for a second. Fighting starts between China and Japan with a small armed clash near the islands in which losses are sustained by both sides. There is the possibility this kind of incident could be quickly contained without further fighting, but only if both Tokyo and Beijing acted with tact, forbearance, and political courage. No one will bet on that, would you? So, it is at least equally likely that the clash would escalate, and if so, Japan would quickly ask America to help. Then, the United States entered the fights, and soon the small conflict became World War III. North Korea's missiles will be flying, targeting U.S. troops. Its nuclear apparatus is on a high alert. Russia will join in. What will the ASEAN countries do? Global trade is interrupted, food prices skyrocket, access to energy becomes scarce, and Asia descends into chaos that will vibrate across the world. Keep this in mind as I provide you my assessments and analysis and answer the fundamental question. Why is NATO's secretary visiting South Korea and Japan is a bad sign. An indication of a conflict on the horizon? My name is Dr. David Walalu, and you are watching Geopolitics in Conflict. Secretary General has arrived in South Korea's capital, Seoul, where he's due to meet with several high-level officials. What happens in this region matters to NATO. And what happens in Europe matters to you. If President Putin wins uh, in Ukraine, this would send a message that authoritarian regimes can achieve their goals through brute force. The world is a random, meaningless chaos. Or is it? How do some of the best, wealthiest, and most powerful people seem to know what's coming before it happens? Well, one way is that they create the circumstances in their favor, but the other is that they know how to read the world's stage and spot patterns and trends in key areas. They don't get lost in the overwhelm of endless information. They know what's important to pay attention to using their own formulas, and most importantly, they know where to put that information to actually make it usable. Would you like to be able to do the same thing? Well, we have a course that teaches you to do that exact same thing. It's called No-Nonsense Politics. So if you want the leg up that some of the world's brightest have, as well as an online community of people who think for themselves just like you, Check it out. Link in the description box below. This is how you should interpret NATO Secretary Stoltenberg's trip to South Korea and Japan. Just for a second, imagine NATO establishing a base in South Korea or Japan and placing nukes. What do you think Asian countries will do? What will China do? Suddenly, missiles are flying from North Korea attacking U.S. troops in both South Korea and Okinawa. Will a conflict in Asia, like that in Ukraine, emerge soon? The outcome is not good. But let me provide you a background. NATO Secretary General 
Jan Stoltenberg started his visit to South Korea and Japan. But the gifts he brings with him aren't good. During his trip to South Korea, he mainly discussed issues related to North Korea. He said, and I quote, The visit demonstrates the increased importance of the partnership between NATO and the Republic of Korea. End of quote. Interestingly, Stoltenberg did not say South Korea, but rather Republic of Korea. You can read between the lines. Stoltenberg argues that NATO and South Korea can share information with each other in response to doubts caused by North Korea's nuclear and missile program. Besides, Stoltenberg further touted the importance of a nuclear deterrence before his trip, claiming, and I quote, China, Russia, and North Korea have nuclear weapons, but NATO allies do not. That's a more dangerous world, end of quote. You all can see what he is hinting at, basically bringing nukes to South Korea and Japan. Obviously, Stoltenberg is thinking differently. NATO's existing nuclear sharing mechanism has nothing to do with the security issues on the Korean Peninsula. It has to bring China and Russia along so that its appearance on the Korean Peninsula will not seem that abrupt and will not arouse South Korea's vigilance. Stoltenberg cited, and I put this in quote, nuclear threats from China, Russia, and North Korea to strengthen information sharing with South Korea. Basically, it's a bait for South Korea. Stoltenberg's purpose is very clear, to draw in South Korea into the cooperation framework of NATO. Nuclear sharing is just an excuse with which NATO's grip can be extended in Northeast Asia in an imposing manner. Look no further than how it is in Europe as we speak. Five countries, the Netherlands, Germany, Italy, Turkey, and Belgium, have US and NATO nukes on their territories, becoming a target in a case of a military conflict. Although on the highly sensitive issue of nuclear sharing, Stoltenberg reserved some leeway in his public statements. The outside world generally believes that the information sharing he proposed will not be the end of NATO's involvement in the Asia-Pacific. Some analyses from South Korean pointed out that NATO's move is intended to echo the U.S. and expand its activity area to the Asia-Pacific region. For one objective and one objective only, to contain China. Although NATO claims that its positioning as a regional defense alliance has not changed since last year, it has continued to break traditional defense zones and areas and greatly strengthen military and security ties with Asia-Pacific countries such as Japan and South Korea. Now, Stoltenberg is standing on the soil of Northeast Asia talking about 
and I put this in quote, nuclear deterrence in a such a high-profile manner, which highlights the serious threat NATO poses to this region. But there is a need for you to understand the brief history. The stalemates on the Korean Peninsula and NATO are two remnants of the Cold War in Euro-Asia. But the former is a victim of the Cold War, while the latter is a beneficiary. After the end of the Cold War, NATO lost the necessity and legitimacy of existence, especially after the fall of the Soviet Union. The real reason why NATO existed in the first place. But alliance survived by sucking the tense and terrifying atmosphere caused by new crises and conflicts. Yugoslavia, Belgrade, Kosovo, Ukraine are a case in point. The reason why NATO has set its sights on the Korean Peninsula is just like hyenas staring at the bleeding wounds of other animals. What it brings to Northeast Asia is the drumbeat of a new Cold War. Here in my assessments, it is very popular in the US and the West to use the Ukraine crisis as, and I put this in quote, security textbooks to sell security fears everywhere because fear paralyzes the masses and Stoltenberg's trip to Asia is no exception. However, what happened on the European continent just shows that once there is a security dilemma, even allies will turn against each other. And this nod will become tighter and tighter. In fact, this has a similar underlying logic to the situation on the Korean Peninsula. The North and the South use the arm themselves out of fear out of their respective security concerns, which in turn deepened the other side's concerns. It's no different than India and Pakistan. What has happened on the peninsula in recent years has already proved that hostility and confrontation can never be the messengers of peace. This is crystal clear. I have noticed that although Stoltenberg always intentionally or unintentionally mentioned China when he unilaterally talked about the threat from North Korea. The South Korean side seems to be relatively low-key about it. In Stoltenberg's meeting with the South Korean president, Yoon Suk-yeol, as well as with the defense and foreign ministers, the South Korean side avoided talking about China as much as possible. This shows that South Korea's security concerns so far are still mainly focused on the peninsula issue. But South Koreans need to take more precautions against the calculating NATO. The accelerated extension of NATO from Europe to Northeast Asia will only make the situation on the peninsula more complicated and difficult to resolve. And the result is by no means what South Korea wants to see. Among the countries that have supplied weapons to Kiev, South Korea has performed a very limited function 
providing arms to of relatively small quantities and low levels. But for NATO, it does not matter what kind of weapons South Korea has provided or planned to offer. What is more important is if Seoul will show the gesture of agreeing to enhance the assistance. In another word, Stoltenberg's urge comes more likely from a political perspective than a military need. NATO seeks to transform itself from a regional organization into a global one. Under this goal, one of its grips is to bring the U.S. allies in the East closer. As a result, with all its strength, NATO has been working on its two main pivots in the Asia-Pacific regions, Japan and South Korea. For the NATO Secretary General, the immediate goal of urging Seoul to change its policy is to form a more solid Western alliance to aid Ukraine in this ongoing saga or conflict. But in terms of a medium and long-term strategic objectives, Stoltenberg wants Seoul to tie to the NATO chariot more tightly. In this way, NATO will be able to use South Korea as an entry point into Asia-Pacific affairs more easily. The famous Cold War diplomat George Cannon wrote in the New York Times in the 1990s about the danger of NATO's expansion eastward, that it would be, and I put this in quote, a fateful error that would inflame the nationalistic anti-Western and militaristic tendencies in Russia's opinion and restore the atmosphere of the Cold War to East-West relations. And Russia, of course, reacted. Indeed, given NATO's ill-conceived policy of enlargement, I am not surprised at the rapprochement between China and Russia. It serves Moscow and Beijing interest to A keep the U.S. away from the Pacific realm, and B, further undermine U.S. global leadership. The question is, will Russia and China rapprochement turn into a strategic alliance with the military dimensions? The possibility is there. One thing is sure, Russia-China alliance will impact the global balance of power, and therefore the international order as we know it. So here is my conclusion for you. The West always talk about rule-based order. But if the rules can be changed so easily just because of the US-led West strategic interest, there is no way to talk about an order. It will not only impact the current situation, but also pose a severe and long-term challenge to the entire system of rules in international relations. The global order we see today has been managed for decades by the United States. But cracks in the structure of that order are increasing, expanding, and becoming more visible. Actually, U.S. foreign policy is in a shambles, even though some in the Washington establishment pretend otherwise. Similarly, NATO is confused and Europe is more divided. Remember, we will be discussing this topic further in a live stream setting. 
I will look forward to seeing you there. As always, prepare yourself for a challenging world order. Till next time. Bye-bye.